0: The Guardian. Welcome to The Guardian and Visit London's pod tours. These tours are designed to be taken on location and used as guided walks. They should work in real time, but we've divided them into chapters and there's a map too that you can download so that you don't get out of sync. But if you're listening at home or on the computer, these podcasts should still work as a documentary in their own right. And if that's the case, then sit back and enjoy. If you're walking with us, though, make your way to the Italian Fountains in the northeastern corner of Kensington Gardens, very near Lancaster Gate Tube Station, where Sarah Crown, the Guardian online books editor, will meet you. She's setting off on a walk to explore how poetry, writing, and inspiration flourish in the park. I'm standing at the northeastern corner of Kensington Gardens. Behind me, I can hear the hustle and bustle of Bayswater, but that's fading out of my mind as I turn around and look south and west towards the amazing view of this famous West London park. I can see the serpentine lake laid out before me, stretching off into the distance, glittering in the sunlight, and vast trees as far as the eye can see. There's a sense of escape when you come to this park, a release from the noise of the city, and my plan is to walk through it on a journey of inspiration because that's what this park is about the peace it provides has offered a space for creative regeneration it's a place to come to to get away the important thing about poets is that they
1: notice things they're great the world's greatest notices you can't second guess inspiration you can't expect it, and if you do, you'll be disappointed. It's those quirky pieces of serendipity that often spark poems. I'm in the Park for Serendipity.
2: In this lone, open glade, I lie, screened by deep boughs on either hand, and at its end, to stay the eye, those black crowned, red bold pine trees stand. Birds here make song, each bird has his. Across the girdling city's hum. How green under the boughs it is. How thick the tremulous sheep cries come. Sometimes a child will cross the glade to take his nurse his broken toy. Sometimes a thrush flit overhead deep in her unknown day's employ. Here at my feet, what wonders pass. What endless active life is here. What blowing daisies, fragrant grass, an air stirred forest, fresh and clear.
0: Joining me on this walk is someone who spent more hours roaming Kensington Gardens than most, certainly than me. Nick Lane, Education and Community Engagement Officer. He's run tours here for years. Nick, it must be an amazing place to come to work to in the morning.
3: It's brilliant, Sarah. It's, it's such an inspirational place. When you walk into a park like this, you're escaping from all the hubbub of life out in London, all the, the noise, of the traffic, and I often come in here first thing in the morning. Um, I enter through Lancaster Gate, come here past the Italian Gardens, um, and first thing in the morning, there's just something very beautiful, um, quite tranquil before they've started to play. Sometimes there's mist hanging over the water, the golden sun rising up over the horizon. It's just magical, really beautiful.
0: And we're now standing right where you come into work every morning in the Italian Gardens. This feels like a good place to start on the journey about inspiration because they're they're so impressive. We think of the parks as green spaces, but these are, are very constructed, aren't they?
3: Yes, they they have both a, an ornamental and structure to them, but they also provide a fantastic vista out over the Long Water. Um, and they're a focal feature and a focal point for people arriving at the gardens. If you're here when the fountains just begin, that is literally as if by magic, they just start. The water wells up. I love the expression that fountains play, and I think they actually do. They can make their own form of music.
1: My name is Joe Shapcott. I'm a poet. And I'm a park lover because um, every day when I step out of my house I have to walk through a little park, Vauxhall Park, to get to the Tube. So it's my first contact with the outside world every day is, is this lovely small park. My mission today in this park is just see what it's like just wandering around somewhere so much bigger and maybe to get to a point where I can't see the edges anymore.
0: There's something about parks that draws people who are looking for the space and time to reflect. And I suppose it's out of that sort of space and time that inspiration can flourish. Well, shall we start off on our walk then and, and move down towards the time? We're going to move around to the right of the Italian Gardens and follow the path as it hugs the water down towards the serpentine.
4: My name is William Boyd. I'm a novelist. Um, I live near many London parks and visit them often and actually have written about them quite a lot as well. I think that for the urban writer, this is a key thing, and I think you are an urban or a rural writer, for the urban writer, the park is a little bit of a country in the city, and that's the role it performs, it seems to me, that you, you get off streets and concrete, and you see tall trees and undulating hill-like things and green grass, flowers. Uh, and so I think it, is a, it, is, it functions as a kind of absolutely fundamental prototypical contrast to the life you lead in a busy city. So, what do you go there for? Um, change of view, uh, relax, um, look at greenery. That—that that I think is a fundamental role of the park in the city.
0: Right. So we're following the signpost now down towards the Serpentine Gallery, the um, Diana Princess of Wales Memorial Fountain, and towards Peter Pan, um, which leads us on to one of the people who've really been inspired. By the park, um, J. M. Barry, the author of *Peter Pan* in Kensington Gardens, to give the novel its full title. Nick, can you tell me a little bit about other people who've been inspired by the parks?
3: Somebody who was inspired to write a particular song was, I believe, Damon Albarn, who wrote *Park Life*. Um, and he wrote and that I know. Here. Yeah, I believe he was inspired by his visits. I think he lived quite close by to Kensington Gardens.
0: In that song, he talks about all the different people who come to the park. That's sort of the central refrain of it. And that kind of puts me in mind of um, a poem by Ezra Pound, who was also, I gather, um, a local resident. I think he lived um, on Church Walk in Kensington. And he wrote a poem called The Gardens, which is a weirdly (laughs) melancholy poem about a woman, a rich woman walking around and being pestered by poor children.
2: The Garden by Ezra Pound like a skein of loose silk blown against a wall. She walks by the railing of a path in Kensington Gardens. And she's dying, piecemeal, of a sort of emotional anemia. And round about there is a rabble of the filthy, sturdy, unkillable infants of the very poor. They shall inherit the earth In her is the end of breeding. Her boredom is exquisite and excessive. She would like someone to speak to her and is almost afraid that I will commit that indiscretion.
5: (laughs)
0: down just a very, very slight incline now towards um, a statue which is one of the most famous landmarks of the park, I think. Uh, It's the statue of Peter Pan, the character in the story by J.M. Barrie. Nick, can you tell us a bit about this story and why it's so wedded to Kensington Gardens?
3: J.M. Barrie was both uh, an author author and a playwright, um, and he was inspired whilst walking around the gardens with his dog uh, Porthos, to, to basically tell these stories to a young family that he bumped into while he was walking around the gardens, the Llewellyn Davis family. It was through talking to them and talking about uh, the baby brother of George Llewellyn Davis, his baby brother Michael, that they came up with the, son, the, the character of Peter, Peter Pan. But they wanted to make it a little bit more magical so this Peter could fly.
0: And we're standing now just beside the statue. It's really beautiful, and um, sort of glimmering, I think it's damp from the rain the night before. I heard a story that in fact JM Barry erected this illegally. He just snuck in and put it up. Is that the case?
3: It wasn't, it wasn't illegal, he did have permission from the park's authority but what he wanted was for it to appear as if by magic so it was installed overnight way back in 1912 and he wanted children to just suddenly find it and nobody to know how it came about and you can actually see when you look at the bronze statue itself um, how it's been rubbed with, with the uh, many, many years of little children coming up to, to care for it and it's actually worn shiny in some places which I think is lovely
2: Peter Ban got out by the window, which had no bars. Standing on the ledge, he could see trees far away, which were doubtless the Kensington Gardens. And the moment he saw them, he entirely forgot that he was now a little boy in a nightgown. And away he flew, right over the houses to the gardens. It is wonderful that he could fly without wings. But the place itched tremendously. And perhaps we could all fly if we were as dead confident sure of our capacity to do it as was bold Peter Pan that evening. He alighted gaily on the open sward between the baby's palace and the serpentine and the first thing he did was to lie on his back and kick. He was quite unaware already that he had ever been human and thought he was a bird, even in appearance, just the same as in his early days.
4: saw the statue recently and it's a, it's a rather beautiful statue I think. Peter Pan's a strange figure for me because I read the book originally as a child in Africa so growing up in Africa and reading about this family in London seemed unbelievably exotic which was not part of the original intention. So for me Peter Pan, the memory of Peter Pan is, is of something strange and, and English and, and far away. It's always been a a vision of England that for me as a child was something deeply unfamiliar. And so I think that stayed with me.
0: Right, shall we get going again?
2: There were a good many fairies about, all too busy to notice him. They were getting breakfast ready, milking their cows, drawing water and so on and the sight of the water-pails made him thirsty. So he flew over to the round pond to have a drink. He stooped and dipped his beak in the pond. He thought it was his beak, but of course it was only his nose, and therefore very little water came up, and that not so refreshing as usual. So next he tried a puddle, and he fell, flop into it.
0: So we've come to another fork in the path now and we're going to take the left-hand fork round which is signposted towards the Hyde Park Lido. We're now rounding corner um, to a place where the path pretty much just merges into the water. Let's just stop here for a moment. We've got a really amazing spot for feeding the birds. Um, a big open space giving onto the water. And we can see swans and moorhens and ducks. And I guess there's something meditative about that act as well, coming to the park to feed the animals and sort of commune with nature a little bit.
2: In the huge world which roars hard by, be others happy if they can. But in my helpless cradle, I was breathed on by the rural pan. I, on men's impious uproar hurled, think often, as I hear them rave, that peace has left the upper world, and now keeps only in the grave. Yet here is peace forever new, when I who watch them am away, still all things in this glade go through the changes of their quiet day.
0: Um, Nick, there's a great big circle on the other side of the bank, which I know nothing about. Can you tell me what that's all about?
3: Absolutely. that's the Vast. It is. It's actually uh, one of two mirrors um, that face each other, um, known as the large sky mirror and the small sky mirror. And this is part of an exhibition here in the gardens through to March of this year um, by Anish Kapoor. and It's called Turning the World Upside Down.
0: If we turn our backs in the Serpentine for a minute and look uphill, we can just see as the, the park sort of opens out at this point. We've got an amazing vista up towards Kensington Palace, and there's a, there's a big statue right in the middle of our view. What's, what's that statue, Nick? Uh,
3: that statue is actually the physical energy. It was designed by George Frederick Watts, and it's a memorial to Sir Cecil Rhodes. It provides a great focal feature on this most amazing avenue. This is actually the longest central London view that you can actually enjoy.
0: Okay, let's get going again.
3: There's a great Cresty grieve over there, which is a beautiful bird and, and inspired the creation of the RSPB. And we've got one just out there on the lake now. It has these beautiful, and almost like an arrow-shaped head uh, with beautiful top head feathers. And they all have a beautiful mating ritual where the two birds, the male and the female, will intertwine their heads in almost like a dance. There is a kind of
4: sensual undercurrent because you can lie down. Uh, you can take your clothes off to a degree you can be very private kissing in the park there's a famous song petting in the park for the 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 urban lover who can't or lovers who can't go anywhere else uh, the park is the, is the is the perfect uh, boudoir in a way mm-hmm. so the, there is this kind of slightly racy raunchy side to, to park life
0: And we're slightly losing sight of water now, just catching glimpses of it between the trees as we're walking alongside the green-painted railings past now a really beautiful enormous looking tree which I imagine if um, it wasn't railed off would be somewhere where people would be climbing a lot in the summer.
3: (laughs) Yeah that's a horse chestnut um, and one of the first trees to come into leaf as it happens and grows amazingly quickly Um, sometimes get as much as 18 inches of growth in just two or three week period but a fantastic tree very majestic.
0: We can see through the arches of the bridge that crosses the serpentine The Lido, where people go and swim in the morning before work. I just think that's quite (laughs) impressive, slightly foolhardy, Um, but they do it all the time. And that must be an amazingly, well, it would be too cold for me, I confess, but an amazingly refreshing, regenerating thing to do before going to work, being in the middle of a city and, and doing wild swimming, basically. I think we should actually walk up onto the bridge if we go up onto the road and turn left because the view is absolutely amazing. To the west you can see the whole of the Serpentine and the Lido stretching out before you. So let's go up there. Can you tell me a bit about the Serpentine? Because I don't actually know very much about it. It looks like just a vast park lake.
3: (laughs) Which, in a sense, it is. Um, Here in Kensington Gardens, we know it as the long water. But overall, as a water body, yes, it is the Serpentine. Uh, It gets that name because it snakes through the landscape. But it hasn't always been here. It was actually created for Queen Caroline, wife of George II, around 1730. And prior to that, it had been a series of medieval fish pools, which were fed by the River Westbourne, which actually flowed through a valley. So this, in effect, is technically a reservoir. They actually dammed up the far end, and they actually created this lake. I'm walking along the pier, which goes out about 20 yards into the lake.
4: I'm in my trunks, and about to have a dip. Um, in 38 degrees or 4 degrees centigrade, and I'm looking forward to this, and I'm looking forward to getting out as well.
6: It's glorious,
4: like mulled wine. I think there's one particularly sublime moment I remember. Half past six in the morning, very dark, um, swimming out about ten yards out into the lake, um, parallel to the shore, and suddenly I saw these two eyes observing me, and it was a fox, and as I swam, it ambled along the length where I was swimming, and every now and then it would take a, a little gulp of water, and I often thought to myself, I wonder if that's an old member come back to observe what's going on.
3: I'm getting out to make myself a cup of tea. <laughs> but, um...
4: Oh, wonderful. Great. Tingly. I'll feel good for the rest of the day.
5: <laughs>
0: Right, we're going back now into Kensington Gardens through the gate we just came onto the bridge through. And you'll see the Serpentine Gallery ahead on your left. That's the red brick building. Let's go in that direction. Hogarth wrote about something that he called the Serpentine Line of Beauty when he was um, writing about the picturesque, which is, um, feels very connected to this garden, this idea of um, land being formed into a manner that's pleasing to the eye. And I wondered always if it was to do with this lake that, he, that he'd come up with that term.
3: There's something about curves and a beauty of something that fits in with the landscape and appears to be a natural feature mm. um, as opposed to rectangular. And there are other parks where we do have more rectangular features uh, or more uh, structured water features. Once upon a time, the lake in St James's Park was actually a canal, so they sort of they have they change over time.
0: So we're walking past the summertime gallery, hugging the wall to our left, but we're not going to go in this time. We're going to carry on right past a really beautiful, enormous holly tree up towards the round pond, heading in the direction of the palace.
7: Uh, I'm Sophie O'Brien, an exhibitions curator here at the Serpentine Gallery. We get people who are coming to see a specific exhibition because they're art lovers or are interested in seeing a specific artist. But we also get all of the other people who visit the park, which is in a way a bit more magical because they are happening upon the, the gallery or happening upon the exhibition. And so people could be here for many, many reasons. They could be cycling, walking their dog, going for a jog, all sorts of things. And so we get many, many different kinds of visitors.
4: Well, I think it, it, it's, it becomes a destination gallery because you can't just wander by it. I think that's, the, that's what makes it different, and that's what I think the challenge to the curator is. How do you draw people to this art gallery in the middle of a park?
7: You are in a different frame of mind when you're walking through a park and, in a sense, uh, more open. Nature doesn't ask you to make any critical judgments of it. It doesn't sell you anything. It's not asking you to buy something. It's not giving you a message. So to enter into into a contemporary art gallery with that frame of mind is a really magical and unique thing. So I think it's a very lucky combination between nature and culture here at Serpentine.
4: Maybe that's why its reputation is, is so high, because people running it have to really put on something special. It has to to be more alluring than your average gallery, it seems to me.
0: Okay, just past the Serpentine Gallery is the main cycle path that goes through the park. What we want to do is get onto the cycle path and turn right towards Kensington Palace and the Round Pond.
4: It's that kind of passing cinema of everyday life that you get when you're on foot, uh, maybe on, on a bicycle as well, or you have to watch out for other traffic. But being a pedestrian, I think, allows you to savour and see the city in a way that you don't as a, on a bus, or on, obviously not on the tube, or, or in the back of a cab. You know, it, Being a pedestrian in a, in a city like London, which is so rich and so diverse, Actually, the flow of phenomena you, you get is, is what you're, you're after, and you don't know what it'll be. It's refreshing. It's a kind of conduit for all sorts of sights and sounds and overheard conversations.
6: My name is Danny Epstein. My mother gave me the name Danny. My father told me how to tell the time. As a boy in Cardiff, I um, lived opposite a park, Roth Park. It had a little waterfall in it. When I got sad, I used to go inside the um, park and listen to the water, so I, I found it somehow cheered me up a little, and I've done that all my life, really. After my car accident in which my wife died, I, I would go into the park and uh, it was better than taking barbiturists.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Knowing a bit about, about your life, I know that you're um, a doctor as well as a poet. Yeah. And um, it struck me that there's a parallel there to be drawn between, between your life as a doctor and your life as a poet and, and London and its life as a city and the parks within it. Would that be a distinction that you would make that the, the cities for living in and the parks are for thinking in, for creating in?
6: Well, I think, you know, as far as writing poetry is concerned, I think you'd, you draw upon the urban atmosphere and all the images and, and you can upon the park as well. I think uh, the town itself, the city has its own moods, hasn't it? The streets have their own moods, you know, when they, and the parks go dark, very dark full of mystery, the sort of place where hunchbacks survive. Do you know that poem by Dylan Thomas? The hunchback in the park, a solitary mister, propped between trees and water, from the opening of the garden lock that lets the trees and water enter, until the Sunday sombre dark, eating bread from a newspaper, drinking water from the chained cup that the children filled with gravel. "'in the fountain basin where I sailed my ship, "'slept at night in a dog kennel, but nobody chained him up. "'Like the park birds he came early, like the water he sat down, "'and mister they called, hey mister, the truant boys from the town, "'running when he had heard them clearly, on out of sound, past lake and rockery, "'laughing when he shook his paper, hunchbacked in mockery, "'through the loud zoo of the willow groves, dodging the war park-keeper,' with his stick that picked up leaves, and the old dog sleeper alone between nurses and swans, while the boys among willows made the tigers jump out of their eyes to roar on the rockery stones, and the groves were blue with sailors. Made all day until bell time, a woman figure without fault, straight as a young elm, straight and tall from his crooked bones, that she might stand in the night, after the locks and chains, All night in the unmade park After the railings and shrubberies The birds, the grass, the trees, the lake And the wild boys, innocent as strawberries Had followed the hunchback to his kennel in the dark It makes me think of an occasion When I saw a dead man on a bench just flat out And I wasn't sure if he was dead or not And I touched him And he wasn't dead He's just a bearded tramp, and I thought he was dead. So you can see what sort of great doctor I am.
0: (laughs) Possibly you just brought him back to life, you know. That's what I mean, that's what I mean. (laughs) Everywhere you turn, you see another story, whether it's nannies telling them to children or J.M. Barry telling them to everyone's children there are just stories everywhere If the park had a voice of its own what do you think it would sound like?
3: (laughs) That is a wonderful question Um, it would have so many different voices I think in my mind it would be a fairly wise uh, and an older voice but there are times when it would be a very young voice it would be an excited voice Um,
0: and as we're coming up now, we've got the round pond just to our right and we're going to take um, the right-hand path down directly towards it. But on our left, there's a really glorious bandstand that looks sort of like a cake almost. Um, do you have a lot of music in the park?
3: We do, throughout the summer we have concerts on that bandstand, but there almost wasn't a bandstand here. Uh, There's a little story that goes with this. Queen Victoria uh, gave permission for music to be enjoyed in the park way back in 1855. Um, Sadly, there were a couple of people who weren't so much in agreement. The keeper of the Privy Purse felt that working people could do without band concerts, and the Archbishop of Canterbury regarded it as unseemly. So, unfortunately, the public had to wait another 14 years before a bandstand was finally built in 1869.
0: I like the idea of music being unseemly in the park. It's not quite in line with all of the inspiration that we've been talking about. We're approaching the rampon now and it's just amazing. There are seagulls, black-headed girls I expect, flying around everywhere and it's almost like coming to the seaside as we walk down towards it. This feels to me like the most peaceful place that we've been to so far. There's something incredibly relaxing about being here and looking out over the water and Even walking round and round the lake, I imagine you could do that for a really long time.
8: I've been practising circle walking for around 16 years. When I was 24 years old, I had a motorcycle accident. A car hit me from behind when I was waiting to turn right at a road. And this caused me a lot of problems. Walking for me was actually um, becoming harder and harder. Over the next year or so, I could feel my body closing down and the doctors were telling me I'd need a cane to walk and things of this nature, which I was not willing to accept. So I looked at various alternative therapies and I come across circle walking. The purpose of walking in a circle is that you never stop. The circle is a universal principle. The world rotates in circles both on its axis and around the sun, and atoms are circles and spheres. Everything in our universe is built out of circles and spheres and spirals, and therefore we incorporate those principles into our practice. So initially, you just want to drop your mind into your feet, and every time your foot touches the ground, consciously relax your foot... And let your foot spread as your body's weight goes on to that foot. And this will open up the sole of the foot and it will allow the body's energy to descend into the foot.
0: Actually, there is something very soothing and relaxing when about it. I could do this for quite a while, I think.
1: Well, I've done a walk of about half an hour, which took me along by the serpentine. Um, round by the gallery and then now I've ended up at the Round Pond and what impressed me was the number of different things happening here in Kensington Gardens that I had no idea were happening here so I saw more hens and coots of course which I I love, I think they make me laugh Um, I saw geese, Canada geese and um, also grey geese I saw the mute swan and that made me feel rather sad about the possibility of inspiration, but never mind. I saw a heron. That was all very exciting. There are also works of art here, and I think that's true probably all year round. The ones that we've got here now are by Anish Kapoor. I wasn't expecting to see them. Uh, There wasn't a sign, and I just saw this very huge, convex mirror. must have been 30 feet across. Below the horizon reflecting the sky so it's as if someone has grabbed the sky and brought it down to earth and then I was lucky enough to see a flock of birds approach it which is slightly surreal because the birds were below the horizon with grass and trees in the background about to approach the sky and your brain thinks they're going to fly in front of the sky but in fact they went behind so they vanished so that was very odd and if I do Write a poem from this. I, I guess I got one line which is more of a question. It's the kind of question that sparks a poem, and my question to myself is why are birds flying behind the sky?
0: Okay, so we've reached the end of our walk now, and it's been not only relaxing and beautiful but really interesting. So thanks very much, Nick, for, for taking us on this tour.
3: It's been an absolute pleasure, Sarah. I've just really enjoyed showing you around the gardens. Um, I enjoy it every single time I'm out here. And every time I walk through them, I think I see something different or, or just and just being asked about them has, has uh, made me think a little bit more about them. So thank you.
0: The only slight disappointment from my point of view is that when you told us that um, what had been the refreshment hut has now become the Serpentine Gallery. So we'll have to find somewhere else to go and have a cup of tea now.
3: <laughs> well, I'm pleased to say there are other places to to get refreshments. So we have the Orangery over near Kensington Palace and then just within Hyde Park we've got the the Lido Cafe so there are places to eat
0: (laughs) Excellent, maybe we should go there now